Good morning and welcome to another episode of Connections Tech Experience. Excited to continue our series all about cybersecurity. So I have here again with me our technology solutions group, our security specialist. Hey guys, how's it going? Awesome. Yeah, very well. Excellent. And I have special guests back with me. Lane, this is your um, third, third podcast with us. Um, Lane is our VP of our Microsoft Center of Excellence. And today, uh, looking at our security, cybersecurity conversation, want to kind of maybe look at the evolution of security and where the cloud has really changed security strategy. Kind of taking a look back into our past where everything really sat on-premise. We had a lot more, maybe potentially more control over physical location of technology and maybe different sort of threats. So let's start with um, Steve and your group to really look at, you know, what have you seen in the security landscape with the introduction of cloud technologies? What doors has it opened to more potential threats or a different type of threat uh, compared to what it maybe was 20 years ago? You know, one of the things that we are constantly uh, talking to our customers about is the decision about moving to the cloud, right? And what should you really be thinking about uh, when you move to the cloud? Um, One of the advantages of any cloud solution that has been built with particular security protection in mind is it's been built with security protection in mind. Unlike a lot of on-premise solutions, as we talked about earlier in some of the other podcasts, where there may be some risks that have not been identified or, or mitigated in some way, shape, or form. So we encourage our customers to think about risk, to think about data, and make good decisions about moving to the cloud. Um, you know, from an overall threat perspective, it's the same, right? A cloud instance is the same as an on-prem instance, and attackers are going to go after cloud instances just like anything else. So the appropriate thing that we do is we help measure the protection and the controls associated with that environment, um, you know, so a customer can feel safe and secure that they're they're doing the right thing. And I think the uh, move to cloud gives the customers a chance to do it over again and maybe do ah. it differently, yeah. um, because they're moving all their data up there. So why not take this as an opportunity to you know take inventory of what you have, find out what that uh, sensitive you know, crown jewels are that you want to protect and then figure out how to put that fence around it and control it. And another good point to that is you, you get guidelines too when you're migrating to the cloud or you're moving things there. You're getting guidelines on how to maybe better protect something in someone else's host environment that you might not have thought of when it was on-prem in your own location. So you're getting a little bit of assistance too while you're moving things up to the cloud. I think that's it's pretty valuable too. Yeah, and the great point, um, you know, Mitch's comment about uh, a redo, right? Essentially, we find a lot of customers have not, when they've built up their overall operational process, thought about data security. Mm -hmm. So when you move into the cloud, now you have another opportunity to think about what is my sensitive data, how am I going to label it or categorize it, and then when I move it into the cloud, what types of different protections am I going to ensure in place? Do, Do you think that that was something also that maybe the security providers themselves maybe didn't didn't see so clearly in the very in the early stages of the cloud because if you think about when I sell you when I sell you a solution you deploy it you use it if if, if you break it you buy it right you, like it's your <laughs> fault if it goes wrong but then when I transition to delivering things like documents as a service right because if I'm doing all that in the cloud 
well, I, you know, now your security problems are my security problems because your data is in, in my cloud. I mean, we've certainly seen, you know, I think in the early days of Office 365, if I abstracted it to what is, what did my security dashboard look like in Office 365? It had probably like about 16 different buttons on it, right? And there were some square buttons and some round buttons and some triangle buttons. And, you know, it was like a kind of a random looking dashboard. But then when they moved to the M365, when they moved to that more, more, more broad ecosystem and they introduced, you know, now my security panel has about 60 buttons on it. And, you know, all the squares are over here and all the circles are over here and the, you know, the triangles are over here, but I have a much more complex and organized security dashboard that's, you know, defense in depth. Uh, and so we've seen, I, you know, I've seen that change with Microsoft just watching the evolution of, of their technology stack. And it sometimes makes me wonder if, you know, the, the regulatory things, you know. That's, that's what I was going to say. Your right? regulatory problems yeah. are now my regulatory problems. Yeah. And, and you've seen this explosion of technology capabilities in the Microsoft ecosystem, like one of the ones that they just rolled out, or that it may even still be in preview, but it's doing, it's like a whole engine to do a data spill investigation. Like yeah. from identifying the data spill, tagging people of interest. I know because I did, a t did this in a test, test lab and you're one of my people of interest, by the way. I got my, <laughs> got my eye on you, Steve. <laughs> But, uh, but this whole engine for investigating and remediating data spills and, and doing things that are in compliance with all these different regulatory frameworks, like they had to bake that into the system. Yeah, I think that's, you know, your question about, you know, did they design it appropriately to begin with? I think the big transition of getting it right happened when compliance started coming sure. into play, right? So PCI um, in the financial industry, FFIC, GOBA, right, you name it, HIPAA and the healthcare space. So when, when cloud providers had to start uh, pro proving that they were compliant with those particular regulations, that's when you really started to see a much more concise control and a better platform in the cloud. Yeah, and I guess that kind of opens up one of the advantages of cloud for security, at least the way I see it. If you look at that, you know, that security dashboard that you get when you go into that M365 ecosystem, that's the same dashboard that every other M365 customer has now. So you've got this experience that's been standardized for almost every single customer, which means that customers that are using that ecosystem, you know, suddenly, the, suddenly the, they're, they're computing in the same way and all of that data is then available to Microsoft. You know, if, if I'm computing the same way, you're computing the same way, now Microsoft has all that data and can start to provide security benefits because it's all in one place and so it's like the bigger the ecosystem gets, the more customers use it, the more data they have, the better they get at the security, which you didn't have to set up. You just flipped the on switch and decided which of those buttons on your panel you're going to start hitting. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the bigger the ecosystem and, you know, Lane, you and I worked together quite a bit on the security landscape optimization and how Microsoft fits into that overall perspective. And we find in, in the majority of the customers that we talk to and do an SLO for, quite a few of their security protection capabilities are built in through Microsoft. And you're right, that huge ecosystem, East, West, North, South, really has a huge advantage on uh, data analysis and, and uh, security control and security management. Yeah, it's been fascinating to watch that 
watch that evolution unfold and and they still have obviously they still have a, a, a ways to go you know we still don't have one pane of glass even in the Microsoft 365 ecosystem you still got your 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 MCAS portal and your Azure security portal and your Office 365 security portal and your M365 security <laughs> portal sure. so a lot of, it we, sounds like Microsoft we like portals <laughs> we love portals but what we really need is another portal to unify all of the other all of the portals. portals. One portal one, rule one portal to rule them all. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's still, we're still we're still a ways out from the the one portal to rule them all. <laughs> so Liam, what is the I mean you've been working obviously with Microsoft for, for quite some time where you um, have really been shepherding customers to the the cloud and kind of having this conversation about what maybe they um, had at their disposal years ago using that traditional Office 365 versus moving to that cloud-based um, Office 365. What's the, I think, and you alluded to it, like there's a lot more um, power in the cloud. Um, Microsoft's interests are the same as my interests in sort of being protected. Um, but how, how have they been able to make that more secure across users um, just by you know, having more and more people add to it and making it more secure. I mean, the, the, the challenge that you'll see with with adopting it is that most customers, they're, they're paying for, you know, their security stack now, you know, for what they have. And as they move into the cloud, it's almost like a it adds more expense because now you're paying for the Microsoft stuff, but you've still got a lot of on, you know, you're still spread out. But the, the more you move into that ecosystem, the easier it becomes to then start lighting up security things that maybe you hadn't been able to do in the past. Like you want to put a DLP you know, process in place. It's not just data loss prevention for, you know, for blocking credit card numbers, but it's nuanced. It's subtle. I can give warnings to users. I can allow manual overrides. I can now utilize that library of, of, of DLP patterns in all kinds of other ways. You know, maybe it's something as simple as I'm scanning my on-prem file shares for uh, PII content, and when I find one, I slap a sensitivity label on it that says, you know, this, this document can't leave the organization, mm -hmm. right? That was about 700 steps in the past. <laughs> and in now it's like a couple of pu pushes of a button. I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, but that's really the, the, the scale. Um, but to speak to your original question about what I call the signals, that was something that I was really fascinated with when I looked at all of the different security pieces that Microsoft had and all, what, you know, what are all of these buttons? What do they do? I was trying to find out like, what, is there anything that, that the cloud introduced that wasn't there before. And what hit me was all of that next-gen threat protection capability. You hear that word next-gen, mm -hmm. you know, kind of bounced around quite a bit. It's one of our keywords. But I saw it <laughs> because it, it occurred to me that, you know, you had to before, you had to set your, your system up so that you were getting the signals from your devices, from your users, you were looking, you know, your identity logs, your, uh, your device access controls, you had to have all that set up. You had to bring all that data in. You had to have a mechanism for normalizing, rationalizing that data, and then making that in, available in some form of a dashboard to, to alert you when something, you know, when something bad happened. But there was that. But when you start computing in the Microsoft ecosystem, that telemetry from sensors in the Windows operating system to, you know, to your audit logs, all of that is, is going in and out of that big ecosystem automatically, right? That's just happening as a, almost like an industrial byproduct of using that ecosystem. So where it gets interesting is because I'm doing that, and so is every other customer that's using that ecosystem, 
And that ingress and egress from that ecosystem goes through the same channels for every customer. Microsoft is getting all of this data in, a, in, a, in the same way. And so it becomes much easier for them to analyze that data, to break it down, to do pattern recognition. So like if a threat hits me, the, you know, the, my telemetry data is gonna push that information up into that ecosystem where the Microsoft security experts and robots are gonna figure out how to fix it. And then through that same pipe, push that down to every single participating customer of that ecosystem so that by the time it hits them, they've already, they've already got a protection for it. You know, that, like that to me was the, was the sort of the unique advantage of Microsoft was that I don't know any other place where that much data is going in and out the same way across that many customers, across that around the globe. That puts them in a really unique position to be able to mitigate threats in ways that I think, you know, I think others would be challenged to simply because they just don't have the size th and that, the scale. That size and scale. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting because we were talking about, um, you know, types of hacking and the more sophisticated uh, hacks that are, are taking place. And I think I had uh, I had read somewhere that it most um, kind of uh, hacking programs or hackers are using machine learning to figure out what the weak spots are, what can get in, what cannot. You know, I think like we said, everyone pictures like someone in a hooded sweatshirt sitting behind a computer and like, does this work? Does this work? Did I get in? But really, there's like machine systems that are constantly running to find those weak points to see what's um, you know consistent across different companies, and that's kind of the bad guy you know situation. And then you know we've got you know Microsoft and other companies that are more of the good guy that are using that uh, machine learning data from all of their active users to see what the behavior is and how can we put protections in place to you know protect against that user behavior or those hackers and what they're normally doing. Um, so being able to scale all of your users to enhance your protection is kind of a really interesting and evolutionary sort of practice on yeah. the security side. Yep, agreed, agreed. Yeah, we used to talk about zero day, now we talk about zero hour from an attack perspective, right? So having the ability to be able to have a, a, a uniform mechanism for identifying threat and figuring out how to address it by pushing down updates to a larger ecosystem certainly is uh, you know a truly effective way to do risk management. You comment, uh, Penny, about um, attackers, right? What we find is that um, uh, malicious attacks, the sophisticated ones, are coming into an environment and sitting in an environment for a long period of time, listening and learning before they actually take effect. So the sort of concept of shock and awe with a malware attack really doesn't exist, right? It, it really, they sit, I think with the Sony attack, they were in it for about four years before they actually executed the attack. So um, you have to have the ability to be able to have sophisticated technology that will identify when malicious traffic occurs or when things that, that don't make sense are happening inside the environment. So potentially putting other technology, you know, on top of Microsoft as well can really help deal with that more deeper dive analysis, maybe on the network, looking for advanced threat patterns and traffic patterns and so on. So that's really interesting, the fact that someone could be listening in, sitting on your network for four years and you have no idea until they decide to sort of take that action. But what are, when do you see them? What is kind of that indicator that they could be sitting there or what are things that you could be doing to make sure that they're not gonna do anything at, at that four year mark? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So in terms of um, when do you see them, that, that's where the signals come in. 
um, indicators of compromise. So if they do something that someone else found, um, that's really the only way. Or if they're really loud and all of a sudden you see a massive spike of data going out the door. Um, if they're that good that you haven't found them and they're just sitting there, it's almost impossible to detect them. So, you know, probably said this a thousand times, you know, defense, defense in depth, layered security, um, you know, you can put controls around the data. So if, you know, they are there, they do act. Um, hopefully they haven't compromised to the point where they got credentials that could access, you know, the crown jewels. So, yeah. we, and, and that's where I think, you know, Microsoft provides a lot of different, a lot of different layers. So from, you know, I always call it trusted users and trusted devices. So on the trusted user front, you know, you have your basic access controls, but then you start getting into, you know, the, the trust but verify like multi-factor authentication, simplest thing of all. It's the, you know, what was the, I was trying to think, what was the very first instance of multi-factor authentication? And I thought, you know what it was? You ever watch those World War II movies? Where you know two soldiers are in the dark and one goes thunder and the other and if you don't say flash you get a hole and you get shot, like that was like the first multi-factor authentication, right? It's like I'm gonna you know I, I, you look like you, or you could be you, but I don't know for sure, so I'm gonna challenge you, right? And then so so having that in place, but then going a step further with conditional access, where you start creating conditions like okay. You, you said flash, but you said it from like 600 feet away, but I can see you standing right there. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Right. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an illogic here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not let you in, or I'm going to put you over here in this quarantine section to see if you're you know, really you, um, and then getting even further risk-based conditional access. So now I'm going to say, well, you look like you, and you're, you know, and it come, but, but there's something in the, you know, the machine learning algorithms that, that's identified you as a medium level risk. And since you do have access to important levels of information, I'm going to challenge you unless you come in as a, unless the robots tell me you're low risk, I'm going to challenge you every time. Um, and then putting layers of privilege in place. So, you know, okay, it's you, I'm sure it's you, but I'm going to challenge you anyways, because you have the keys to the kingdom. Um, and you see even Microsoft taking it a step further with, you know, I can actually put, that's putting controls on you, the person. I can actually, if there's like an admin function, right? Because admin functions, you don't want people going around poking your, right. you don't want strangers yeah. pushing buttons on your security console. So they say, okay, guess what? Anybody that hits one of those buttons on that security console, it doesn't matter even if they've been validated nine ways from Sunday, that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a challenge that's gonna happen every time anybody wants to do that. So now you've got like these multiple layers Layers of of defense that that's just to get in the front door. But then once you're in that door, you know you've got you've got uh, class of sensitivity labels, so your data is labeled the right way. So stuff is labeled top secret. Stuff is labeled uh, 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 company use only. Right. So you, you've got this engine that puts further protections on the data itself, all the way back to the the back office where the, all that signals telemetry is being analyzed and turned into alerts. And you've got your, you know, you've got your data spill and your investigation mechanism set up to, to go into action as soon as something bad's happened. I mean, if you set all those things up, then that's your best, 
right? I mean, that's like the, that's about the best you can do. And if and, and right. if it doesn't stop that, then well, they deserve you, it. They, <laughs> yeah. they work hard enough to get in. Yeah, I mean, really, what you're talking about is eliminating the chance that somebody's going to be able to compromise somebody's credentials. Because you get into how do you identify malicious activity if somebody is using Steve Nardoni's credentials and accessing data that I have access to, but it's not me, right? Now it's a behavioral level question, right? right? Why is Steve accessing a database at two o'clock in the morning and taking a terabyte of data out of that, (laughs) right? I mean, so that's when you really get sophisticated and start doing behavioral analysis on the, in the environment as well. And that's the whole post, post, I mean, it doesn't even stop there. Like then when something bad does happen, do you have the, are, are you inspecting your audit logs? Are you, do you have the inspection mechanism to be able to surface that and, and make sure it doesn't happen a second time? You know, I mean, but that defense, it seems like, oh, you know, a lot of work to get there. But I can tell you, my identity was stolen uh, a couple of years back at a, at a card reader in a gas station, you know, the old, you know, bit, right? Yeah. And they got, they, they, hit the, they hit the limit on my ATM and they called the bank, called my bank to get the limit raised. They were professionals. I had professional identity. <laughs> 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 I, don't, I, don't recommend, I don't recommend amateur identity. We wouldn't, expect, they just make a we wouldn't mess. expect anything they less just, for you, Lane. They yeah. just make a mess of things. You want a pro. And uh, so what was interesting was my bank told me that they passed eight out of the nine security checks that they hit him with but wow. they hit him with nine security checks but they had my social they had my kids socials they had my vehicle vin number they had all but i can't remember what the ninth thing they asked him what but when they failed number nine they froze every asset i had in that bank for 72 hours until they could sort it out so i was real glad my bank had nine layers of of security <laughs> because they got him on the ninth yeah, that's fantastic. And, it, you know, that is so crucial to uh, uniquely identifying, is this a legitimate person or not, right? The more uh, credentials, the more uh, you expect from a security policy perspective, the better off you're going to be. And if I could so be so bold as to throw a commercial in for <laughs> Windows 10 while we're talking, because that we've just been talking about users and behavior. Um, but one of the things that I think is often overlooked because we're all in a rush to get off of Windows 7 and get onto Windows 10 because we're running out of time on Windows 7. But the Windows 10 operating system has a lot of, of, of security capabilities that harden that device itself. You know, um, and again, I, I got to see this in action. So my devices are managed by Intune. And so I got this brand new Surface Studio and they plugged it in and all of a sudden my access was revoked from Office 365 because it said my devices weren't, comp- mm-hmm. one of my devices wasn't compliant. It sent me to the Intune, to the Azure AD portal or the Intune portal. I went over there and it said, eh, yeah, sorry, you don't have, you don't have TPM. You're, this device doesn't have TPM on it. I'm like, it's a brand new Surface Studio. How does it not have, what, what, what is this? So told me what to do. So I went in and I found out, sure enough, I don't, for whatever reason, TPM was disabled in the, in the BIOS when they shipped the machine, right? And so I was able to turn it back on, then BitLocker installed, and I returned to compliance and my access was restored. But while my access was knocked out because of that one device, I did, of course, I tried to go in with my phone, with my iPad, I tried to go in with, you know, nothing. I was completely locked out of the system. I could not get in with anything. Like, I was like, banished until until that device was fixed so like that's and that only works because it's windows 10 we had intune you know all the pieces that you know bitlocker and bitlocker was being centrally managed by intune blah 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 there's all those pieces working together but what was really interesting you know about that experience was i i I made zero calls to help desk 
like it just told me what to do and I did it and fixed it. And you think about that, that like that was efficient, powerful defense in depth that didn't bother the help desk. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure it made the help the help desk happy happy as well. So, you know, one of the things you, you talked about Lane in this whole process and that's one of the, the basic principles we try and talk to our customers about is that when they have systems that are out of compliance and you can't connect to the network because they don't have the appropriate antivirus installed, they're not the with the right level, they don't have the right patches installed that they have the ability to be able to take those systems, not allow them to connect to the network. Maybe they go into a quarantine network where they can do everything you just talked about, right? They can either work with IT where they themselves can update their systems to make sure that they're at whatever level they need to be at before they're allowed to connect so to the I, corporate network. I know the Microsoft world, but do other security, like I've noticed that the in Microsoft land, it's starting to get more nuanced. Like I'm starting to see where, you know, more ability to say, okay, rather than block, I'm going to I'm going to warn, or I'm going to block, and I'm going to ov allow an override. But let's say that override is going to trigger a data investigation, right? So I can now with this, I like pushing but buttons on my console, I can start to set up these workflows that say, okay, Steve Nardoni, I know you absolutely, you know, are in these times where you're in front of a customer, and if you can't get in, then so I'm going to allow you to override because I trust you enough, you know, you, and, but understand that that override is going to launch an investigation. So it's not like it's just like you just hit the override button and it's done and forgotten because I've got it set up to where I'm reviewing that on a regular basis. Um, or maybe I want to have that feature enabled, but I don't want to block anything or stop anything. I just want to watch it. I just want to, I think they call it silent mode. I just want to watch it for compliance purposes. I'm starting to notice like all these different layers. And the goal is like to provide the maximum amount of security with the minimum amount of like red tape for your end users. Cause that, yeah. makes, them, that makes them crazy. And are, do, do the, is that also prevalent in a lot of other solutions? Or are you starting to see that like that level of nuanced response? Yeah, so absolutely. And, and uh, you know, the one thing you just articulated, one of the most difficult risk challenges that any, any uh, you know, risk owner in a corporation has, right? And it all boils down to business process, right? Art versus science. We talked about that a little yeah. bit before, right? You know, is there a way to be able to say, okay, ultimately, best practice risk would say do ABC, but in this particular situation, I'm going to drop A because business process dictates A has to happen, right? And so, yeah, we see that a lot. We see in network access control solutions and technology, you see a lot of that ability to be able to really identify uh, policies and systems and, and have some level of control about what you allow, what you don't allow, when you send somebody to a quarantine network versus on the corporate network and so on. But yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge challenge across the spectrum. Yeah, I can imagine that, you know, because you don't want your end users, you know, you don't want, you don't want to lose money for your company because, but at the same time, where do you strike that line? Right. That's what that's what I was wondering is that if you're, you know, customers today that are maybe not engaging that in that consultative process to understand where their weaknesses are, if they're just sort of buying the pieces of technology or software and going, OK, I'm secure. And it's like the path of least resistance. It's not creating a disruption with my end users. It's not requiring me to do too much extra. Um, so sort of this thought process that um, companies might have about if I start really putting a roadmap together and increasing my security and all of that, it's going to create this disruption. And it's going to be I'm going to lose productivity with my end users because they're constantly being shut down or they're, you know, being flagged for something. How do you, what's that conversation like with a customer to kind of have that? 
and I know <laughs> easier said than done, but it's it, it's a probably a valid concern, right? It, it is, and and that's a, there's a fine line there. So you know, part of the th part of the discussion I have with a customer before they implement any new technology is to stand it up in their environment somewhere in a POC and make sure that it's going to work with the other business processes that they have. And so you get that user experience in, in, in a controlled environment before you start to implement it full-blown. And do they have, in that POC, are, are they bringing their employees in or are they... They bring in a small subset, a test group um, that they'll bring in first just to see what the user experience is before they roll it out. Mm. Yeah, one of our favorite uh, you know conversations with customers, you know, and this again happens during the security landscape optimization when we ask them, you know, you're running Win 10. Are you running those systems with local with admin privileges for the users, or are you running it with in local user privilege? And they say, well, we're running with admin rights because really it's too hard to build a process operationally that will allow us to be able to run in local user mode. And of course, we know running with admin privilege means you're running with root and any malware that ends up on that system is going to run as root. It's, it's really an interesting conversation that they, they won't take a step back and think about, okay, how dangerous is this? And what can I do to help protect against this? And it, I'd say probably, what, 50%, 60% of the conversations we have with customers are exactly that conversation. What level of risk do you think the users themselves perceive? Like, so think about what you, you, know, what you just said there. So I'm thinking if my device isn't secure, because they're going to find, like, let's say there's a, a threat vector, and they do, the, they do the trace, and it comes back to, oops, it was my laptop, and I had, <laughs> and I had admin rights on it. You know, I don't think that's going to go very well for me as an employee of my organization. So, you know, I think I try to think about these things and be like, you know, maybe I don't want admin rights on my system because I don't want I don't well, want to be the one. The, the user is usually none the wiser whether they have admin rights or not. Um, so you have to provide the ability for them to be able to install, update, download, do whatever they need to do on sort of under the hood. Yeah. And they don't put the onus on security on the user. The user's going to click. They're going to open. They're going to browse. They're going to do whatever. They put the onus of security on the IT folks that are implementing those technologies. So, well, In defense of the user, uh, <laughs> the risk perception, at least from my viewpoint, if I get a company-mandated laptop that's configured, uh, they're doing that so I don't have to. So to me, if I'm the end user, I, there's no risk uh, because there should be steps taken before... Uh, so right, if you're trusting so, me with this device, then yeah, hopefully you you've you figured out how to keep it from me being dangerous. This is awesome. <laughs> Many times, um, you know, the IT department will say, our users will not tolerate not having admin rights on their systems because they want to install whatever application they want to install. They don't want to be blocked when they have to do that. So we'll talk to the IT department and they say, I, we're not going to be able to socialize this and have our users change the way that they're managing their systems on a daily basis. And, and honestly, it's not that hard to do, right? And there is technology that allows you to be able to address this particular issue, um, but it's, it's, it's a challenge. See, I used to think that way, but where I used to, in one of the places where I used to work back in the old days, one of my customers was a big Fortune, Fortune 100 company, and I don't know if you ever remember the Osama Mama, it was like one of the first AOL viruses, mm -hmm. and you downloaded the game, and it infected everybody in your contact list. Well, turns out that they did the root trace, and the source of the 
infection for this Fortune 100 was one of the computers of my inside sales, one of my inside sales reps who had, down, <laughs> who had activated it. And in effect, because that at the time that Fortune company used AOL was their was their you know their chat system, and uh, you know so. And, so and just just I think it's AOL was breached when a few times, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah this yeah, was absolutely yeah. yeah. So I've been I've been the source of one of those those before. It was not a, not a fun experience to you know and 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 ever since then though I I that's something I've been thinking about too is what is the role you know how active a role should I be playing as a as because it is my identity they are my credentials and ultimately that's my reputation that is you know that's associated with that you know that's associated with the, with what I'm doing for that company. Sure. So Lane, to talk a little bit about um, you know just basically whether or not it's O three sixty O three sixty five or maybe Win ten out of the box um, to configure what you think is a is a good level of user protection. What what has to happen in order for that to materialize? Uh, you know, it's actually Microsoft has a really good sort of like thirty sixty ninety day roadmap that they have on one of their web properties, and maybe we can make the link available. But it's it it actually kind of lays out. You know what's you know what's sort of step one, step two, um, the the bare bones basics, and I agree with them on this. Is you know, first making sure that your admin privileges are secured and that you're looking at your secure score because one of the things that if you hook it up right, it's it does it has a scoring mechanism in it which is cool because it brings all that telemetry together and basically rates and ranks it against their standards, which with all that data, you figure that's a pretty good source, right? So you get this security score, and then it tells you all the, you know, all the things that you need to do to fix it. Um, but starting there is just, isn't, you know, understanding, first and foremost, understanding what all of the available security elements are, and then starting with the basics of securing your securing your privilege, putting in some basic challenge mechanism, you know, uh, you know, multi-factor authentication, mm -hmm. and and inspecting uh, that security score, and basically following the instructions for because it will lead you to you're scoring low here. Here's why, and here's the three things that you should do in order to to make that. score. And then you, the nice thing is, if you do those things, your score goes up. So it's kind of gamified a little bit, but but that's. You know, 30, 60, 90 in their plan, it's like, look at that score, understand that score, and then you come back to it at the 60, and you start getting deeper into it, and you come down to it in the 90, and it just it basically make a habit of, of benchmarking against that score. That's like the best thing you can do to start. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, one of the things you talked about with uh, the telemetry, so to speak, right across the spectrum, what does Microsoft do to make that information available to their customers? So they're collecting all this information about what's happening in environments, right? They're identifying threats and risks. They're, they're, obviously, we all benefit because the patches are built, right, and we get the new patches. But does Microsoft make that telemetry and information available to a customer so that they can have some insight in, into what they're seeing as well? Yeah, there's so when you get into the upper echelons of their advanced threat protection, they have, man, there's so much there. It's like it, it's overwhelming. But at the most basic level, that's that score that we talked about. That's one. That's like the most easily abstract view of you know abstracted view of, of your security posture. So score you know is is one. Um, the audit logs are there, you know, and it, there's there's some licensing like different levels of licensing that get into the how long those logs are retained for. But let's just say that the average Office 365 customer is going to have those audit logs available, you know, retained for at least 90 days. So you've got you've got logs that you can inspect, um, but then they've got 
uh, uh, ways that they, especially in like their email threat protection platform, like the, what they call the uh, advanced threat protection, um, uh, utilizing that telemetry and turning it into canned reports. You know, this this type of risk, that type of risk, and breaking that down. Also at the identity level with the, with Azure Active Directory, there's a whole host of reports that surface not just when a threat vector occurs, but like you can look at the level of risk, you can kind of break that down into more detail to say, okay, this is a medium level risk because of this reason and this reason and this reason. And in some cases, you can take that all the way through to automated remediations. So, you know, that telemetry is everywhere in M365 and it's highly visible. But if you want to get even more granular, audit logs are right there. Yeah, Mitch, I don't know if you want to talk about any of the security tools that you've been taking a look at on the Microsoft front. Uh, sure, no. <laughs> no, I, I was just waiting uh, to interject. I think, so Secure Score, I think, is awesome. And then uh, on the endpoint, uh, they also have Secure Score for the endpoint, right? Yep. So I think that's huge, as well as Exposure Score. Um, so Exposure Score is a little different take on Secure Score. So Secure Score, you want to get high numbers. Exposure Score, you want to get low numbers. So Exposure um, basically uh, takes inventory of uh, your device to see if there's any vulnerable uh, system or applications. Um, that's as far as I know. But the, the fact that they make that available and the biggest key is it's easy. Um, a lot of a lot of these uh, services that they provide, it's easy. I mean, the hardest part is probably figuring out the licensing. Um, I still get confused with Office 365 yeah. E3, M365. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't even try. Yeah. <laughs> That's another podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but when I found out they have special trainings just to understand, um, you know, Microsoft licensing and how to negotiate your agreement, I'm like, I'm just staying away from that. Yeah. But besides that, you get past that. All the uh, one of the biggest benefits is they're just making it easy. Um, we were talking a little bit uh, before that we started. Um, if we wanted to do the same thing on premise, it would take a lot longer, um, a lot more headaches because the date you have to normalize everything. You have to figure out what you want to do with it. Um, every vendor has a different format, but now with Microsoft, it's all a common format. Everything is already normalized. It's easier to get that data as opposed to, um, well, it's easier to scale. And it's easier for Microsoft to compare your data to everybody else's data to identify anomalies and recognize patterns. So it's like it's the bigger it gets, the more the smarter the engine gets. And they've got some pretty interesting things like um, they have these things like called security playbooks. I think that's what they're called, but that's like something that you can see the most common threat vectors of certain types. It's like a knowledge base, and it kind of gives you mm -hmm. these playbooks. Of, okay, here's what happens if you know if you identify this or or we tell you this, then these are the steps that you take. So some of it's like automated. Some of it's like, hey, our you know our threat experts have figured these. They'll tell you how to push the buttons, but there's so many different layers of of help. But it all comes from those, you know, it all comes from that, that telemetry, those signals. Yeah, I mean, it gets back to the question we had earlier about, you know, what has been enhanced in the cloud, right? Building a complete ecosystem with the infrastructure that provides protection, detection, and reaction, right? That's really the secret. And that's what we see with what Microsoft is, is doing right now. Yeah, and, and it's 
it's actually so easy that I can do it because I got a sandbox <laughs> environment. So easy, Lane can do it. I, I unfortunately have to know all that licensing stuff, and it took me two two years to figure it out. And I still, you know, I'm still still not there. But but one of the things that I realized was in order to sort that out, the easiest thing is to say, if I have this license type, can I do this? It's to so I bought a license of that type, and I go in and see if the buttons lit up, and if it is, then yes. If it's not, then no. Um, so put, but but in doing so, like I had to learn, you know, how to set up DLP policies, how to set up retention labels, and what the nuances of retention are, what sensitivity labels. Like I learned all this stuff by doing it. But what was amazing to me was I could actually do it. Like it was logical enough that I could be like, oh, okay, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to apply this this way. I could do it. Like I didn't need a you know a PhD in computer science to be able to even just see, know what the buttons meant. Like I could figure out my dashboard and read my security score. Um, I thought that was cool. It kind of democratized IT security a little bit, which I think is a, a really good thing, a really cool trend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think I think that's the uh, kind of the important takeaway here as we look at the cloud. And I have had a ton of cloud conversations where customers are having that sort of hesitancy to make that make the shift to the cloud um, but like you were saying mitch it's an opportunity to kind of take a fresh start with what's happening in the organization how they're looking at data how they're looking at securing that data and sort of putting those policies and procedures um, and and business cases in place to use the cloud as a as a way to be more secure um, so while hackers and threats and things like that might be getting more sophisticated with the cloud um, being in play it's also given us an opportunity Opportunity to really amp up security and have more visibility, have more tools. What Microsoft is doing, you know, being able to scale that and take user information and actually use user information for good and not for bad um, is, is a huge positive. So I think that uh, your teams play extremely well here in this space from the SLO process um, along with Microsoft to really see where those opportunities um, for, for threats and risks are and how to help defend against them um, with both of these solutions and both of your practices. I think that's a good, that might be a good future podcast, the cloud do-over. <laughs> Actually, it's that, that sounds like it. Yeah. Okay. Here's how you do it. You can do it right this time. Right. We've talked about all of the benefits that um, Microsoft's cloud and Windows 10 have um, really opened up for for a customer and the opportunities to be more secure. Um, so if you are one of those people that's out there and you're still trying to figure out Office 365, M365, A3, A5, Lane and his group, they have spent years trying to um, and working to understand and be able to really inte intelligently walk you through this process and what is going to be best for you as a customer for your organization to be more secure. And of course, our technology solutions group here um, to really help you with that full circle security landscape. So um, www.connection.com um, and our Microsoft and security resources um, can help you be more secure. So Lane, thank you so much for joining us. Um, my friends from TSG, thank you for joining me again. And until next time.